0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show Tonight, we revisit the year 1945 And another story from The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes All of the shows in this series were, of course, based on the writings of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, so I thought before we check in with Dr. Watson and Sherlock himself, we should pull back the curtain on the person responsible for these great tales of brilliant detective work. Over 125 years after his creation, Sherlock Holmes remains the most popular fictional detective in history. Arthur Conan Doyle is best known for the 60 stories he wrote about Sherlock Holmes, but his body of work includes nearly 200 novels, short stories, poems, historical books, and pamphlets. Arthur Conan Doyle was born on May 22, 1859, in Edinburgh, Scotland. Now, the Doyles were a prosperous Irish Catholic family. Arthur's father was a chronic alcoholic, and a moderately successful artist who, apart from fathering a brilliant son, never accomplished anything of note. On the other hand, Arthur's mother had a passion for books and was a master storyteller. He wrote of his mother's gift of sinking her voice to a horror-stricken whisper when she reached the culminating point of a story. After Arthur reached his ninth birthday, he was sent to spend seven years in a Jesuit boarding school in England. He loathed the bigotry surrounding his studies, and rebelled at corporal punishment, which was prevalent and incredibly brutal in most English schools of that time. It was during these difficult years at boarding school that Arthur realized he also had a talent for storytelling. He was often found surrounded by a bevy of totally enraptured young students listening to the amazing stories he'd make up to amuse them. Family tradition would have dictated the pursuit of an artistic career, yet, Arthur decided to follow a medical one. He carried out his medical studies at the University of Edinburgh. The man who most impressed and influenced him was, without a doubt, one of his teachers, Dr. Joseph Bell. Now, the good doctor was a master at observation, logic, deduction, and diagnosis. All of these qualities were later to be found in the persona of the celebrated detective Sherlock Holmes. And now, here is Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson and the episode entitled... Double Zero. Petri
2: Wine brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invites you to spend the next half hour listening to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective Sherlock Holmes. And now let's look in on our good friend and host, Dr. Watson.
3: Come in, come in, come in. Ah, there you are, Mr. Bartell. Evening, Doctor. (laughs) Just in time to join me in a cup of coffee. Draw up your chair, young fellow, my lad. Thank you. Ah, that's it. Well, Doctor, you told us last week that tonight's
2: new Sherlock Holmes adventure takes us to the south of
3: France. That's right, Mr. Bartell. The south of France in the year 1900. A beautiful playground bordered by the bluest of blue seas. And populated with an extraordinary cross-section of cosmopolitan Europe. Rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief. All of them attracted by that Riviera paradise. All of them drawn by the magical spell of a small white ball spinning round the rim... Of a roulette wheel.
2: Now, don't tell me that you and the great Sherlock Holmes were there on a gambling spree.
3: We were not, Mr. Bartell. <laughs> at the time my story begins, we just concluded an extremely delicate mission. A mission, I may say, that uh, concerned the safety and good name of uh, a very prominent member of the royal family. Say, Doctor, you don't mean. Uh, me. One story at a time, Mr. Bartell. In any event, my boy, I'm afraid that's the case about which my lips are sealed for all time. But to return to tonight's adventure. One June evening, I persuaded Holmes to accompany me to the Gannon Casino at Frejus, not far from Cannes, where we were staying. It wasn't quite as fashionable as the Casino at Monte Carlo, but as I intended to do a little more, scambling myself, it seemed an establishment more suited to my means. As we stood there, at the green baize-covered tables, the chatter of voices and the melodic chanting of the croupiers, as they called the results of each turn of the wheel, formed a background to a quiet conversation, that Holmes and I were having.
4: Very fast! Lost again, Watson?
5: Oh, Confounded! That number ten must come up soon. Oh, Why not cut your losses, old fellow, and come for a stroll with me on the water. Oh, well, just
3: a bit. Make a couple more bets, Holmes. I, I have a feeling that ten is bound to come up in a minute. <laughs> Watson, I believe the blood of a
5: gambler courses through your veins.
3: Oh, there's no harm in taking a little flutter once in a while. Why don't you risk a few francs, eh? Oh, thank no, thanks. My dear chap, the law of averages convinces
5: me that my money is safer in my pocket. In any case, I'm a little dubious as to the integrity of this particular casino. Huh?
3: What makes you say that?
5: Well, you will observe that this roulette wheel has a double zero. Most continental wheels have only a single one. It would indicate that this house is extremely concerned with its percentage.
4: Madame Monsieur, fake you. Oh, just two more turns
3: of the wheel, Holmes. I'll take that walk with you. Oh, Mrs. Hier's feeling. Why do you not from the other side of the table? Why must you always stand next to me?
5: Hello? Good trouble up there.
3: I've placed my bet, so so let's go and see. I ask you, sir, why do you play here beside me?
6: I'm afraid I don't see any reason why I can't play wherever I. I wish. you've broken my luck. Ever since you come to the table, I've done nothing but lose. Please, to move away. I'll move away yourself if you don't like my
7: company. Heinrich, why do you not stop now? You've already lost more than we can afford.
6: One more trouble,
2: Inside. I can win it all back if only this young man will move away.
7: Why should my husband move? He's had a bad run of luck, too.
2: Rien ne va plus. Ne. Rouge,
7: imparément.
5: Ah, you've lost again, Watson.
7: Heinrich, you must stop
5: now. I must stop,
6: Inside, because I've lost everything. I hope you're satisfied, Mr. American. You've broken my luck and ruined me. I hope that you and your turn will be ruined soon.
8: Heinrich! Heinrich,
6: for me! I never heard such rubbish in my life. Were you listening to him, sir? I heard his last few remarks,
5: Mr. Uh, Gilbert, Gilbert, Roger Gilbert. Gilbert,
6: and this is my wife, Helen. How do you do? My name is Holmes, and this
5: is
3: my friend, Doctor Watson. How do you do? How do you
9: do? Didn't think his remarks were a little out of place, Doctor?
3: Yeah, I certainly did, Mrs. Gilbert. I don't see how I can possibly blame your husband for his run of bad luck. I didn't
6: like the
5: look on his face as he left the table, though. Have you any
6: idea who he is? His name is Schneeman. He's staying at the same hotel as we are. I've never spoken to him, but I've heard of being paid there.
9: Well, he shouldn't gamble unless he can afford to lose.
6: Well, I'm losing, darling, and I can't afford it.
9: Oh, if I can let you. Have more money, you know that.
6: Oh, no, Helen, I I may have married an heiress, but I'm not going to use her fortune to gamble with. Oh. <laughs> I'll lose my own money and then I'll quit. Mesdames et messieurs, take for oh.
3: you. You last bit, Watson? Yes, Holmes, this time I know that number 10 is going to come up. It's got to. <laughs>
6: I've lost again, Darnus. Helen, this is my bad night.
3: Well, why don't you stop now, dear? Holmes, I've made 350 francs. On this
6: throw of the wheel, old
5: fellow, but as you've lost some 500 francs doing it, I can't say that you're a stick of me. Oh,
3: Mr. Holmes, I can see that you're no gambler. <laughs> I'm afraid not, Mrs. Gilbert. and Holmes, uh, you may not like roulette... You've taken a good many chances in your life with long odds against you, too. Nevertheless, so, you know, old chap in the sense
6: Mrs. Gilbert means it. I'm not a gambler.
9: Say, oh, hey, what's the
3: commotion
6: you? over there? Oh. A
9: that German woman with a crowd forming around. her. Yes,
6: yes, the wife of that man that said I ruined it.
9: Attention! Attention! Est-ce que y a un docteur dans la salle?
6: There must be trouble. He's asking for a doctor. A
3: doctor? Come along, then.
5: Will you excuse me, please? Thank you. Excuse me, madame. Mon ami est docteur. Monsieur, cette dame a besoin d'un docteur. What happened, madame?
7: It is my husband. Is he ill? I just found him lying out in the garden. Please come with me at once, gentleman.
5: Uh, of course, we will matter. What seems to be the matter with him?
7: Here, Doctor, I think he is dead. He's lying by that tree, Doctor. Please see if you can help him.
5: Somebody else seems to be on the scene before us. Who are you, sir? I am Monsieur Chavray, director of the casino. Do any of you know this poor man?
7: I am his wife. Is he... Is he dead?
5: I I am afraid so, madame. Let me look at him. I'm a doctor. Was your husband gambling in the casino <laughs> tonight, madame?
7: Yeah, he was... Poor Heinrich. He lost everything that we have. I'm afraid he's dead, madame. Shot to the heart. Oh, to leap of God.
5: Suicide, so Watson?
3: Yeah, looks like it.
5: Mm. Yes. Yeah. Powder burned on the shirt front, revolver clutched in the right hand, fingers in a natural position. The angle of the wound settles it. Obviously self-inflicted.
6: I missed you as you slipped out of the
7: casino.
5: What's wrong with him? I'm afraid he's dead, Mr. Gilbert.
7: Yes, he committed suicide. I hope, young man, that you are satisfied. All night you brought you bad luck. He asked you to move away from him to change his luck, but no, you could not do it. Oh,
6: Frau Schneemann, I'm terribly sorry, but I really don't see how you can blame me. I
7: do blame you, and I also blame you, Monsieur Chevry. He yes.
6: But what have I done, madame?
7: Why do you let a man lose all his money at your tables? Is life so cheap to you, and money so important, that you cannot close the tables to someone before he's gone? Madame,
5: I am all sympathy for you in your tragic loss. But the casino not be responsible. If your husband could not afford to gamble, then he should not come here. How are we to know the financial limitations of our of our customers? You said your husband lost everything you had tonight, madame. Yeah, everything. Then how do you account for this sheaf of banknotes in his breast pocket?
3: Good Lord, it must be several thousand francs, sir. Then he
5: wasn't ruined. And his suicide, therefore, cannot be blamed on his losses at Matresino, madame. How do you account for this money, Frau Schleimann?
7: Well... I do not understand. Heinrich kept nothing from me. I know that he had not so much money on him when he started tonight. Uh, well, why do you all look at me like that? Is it that you think? You think Quick, wait,
5: she's fainted.
6: I've got uh, her. We must get
7: her
5: to her room. You can take her to my suite in the casino.
6: No, let's take her to the hotel. My wife will look after her. Poor woman, she's had a dreadful shock. She can probably do with another woman's company. It's very considerate it of you, Mr. Gilbert. Where are you staying? At the Hotel Creon.
5: It's quite near here. I'll get a cabin while I'm doing that. Watson, see if you can revive her, will you? Then we'll take her to the Hotel Creon. <laughs>
6: Kind of you, Mrs. Gilbert, to let us bring the poor lady into your suite.
9: Well, it's the least I can do, in spite of what she said about Roger bringing her husband bad luck. Well,
6: I'm sure she'll need your help when she wakes up, Helen. Yes, I think you'll find that she'll sleep for some hours. I give her a strong sedative. Well, we were just about to have a drink,
3: gentlemen. Do you care to join us? Oh, thank you, sir. Well, That'll be very nice, Mr. Gilbert. Roger was just
9: telling me that quite a large sum of money was found on her Shaman's body, Mr. Holmes.
5: Uh, yes, Mrs. Gilbert.
4: Several
3: thousand francs. It's very Puzzling Holmes, why should a man commit suicide with so much money on him? I think the answer is obvious. He didn't. What
5: on earth do you mean? Well, the money was placed there after he had shot himself. The bank were in his breast pocket, if you remember, a usual place to have money. Though it is the easiest pocket for someone to insert it without disturbing the body.
6: But why on earth should someone place money on him after his suicide?
5: To prevent the casino from getting a bad name. I've heard of it being done on several similar occasions. Gives the impression that the unfortunate victim had other motives than gambling losses to a country's suicide.
3: Wait, Scott, you mean that one of the casino employees found the body lying there and slipped the money in his breast pocket before we arrived on the scene? As you know, my dear Watson,
5: I'm not a gambling
3: man, but I'll lay you a hundred to one. That
5: is
6: what happened. Well, that's a new one. Well, here are your drinks, gentlemen. Thank uh, you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Say, Helen, Mr. Holmes has given me a brainwave.
9: Another one? What is it this time, Roger?
6: Now, I've been losing very heavily tonight. Roger,
9: no. I've told you. If you need money, I'll be only. But two. I don't.
6: I've got a scheme for making some. I'm going to gamble again tonight after dinner. If I lose, here's what I'll do I'll stain my shirt front with red ink, walk out in the grounds, fire a shot, and lie down as though I'm dead. I'll wait for someone to come along and stuff my pockets full of (laughs) (laughs) banknotes. Not not a bad idea, Mr. Gilbert. (laughs) I think it's a darn good one. What do you say,
5: Mr. Holmes? It's a whimsical one at any rate. Who knows? You might even be successful.
9: Roger. You're not really going to do it, are you? Sure.
6: Perhaps I'll get some of my losses back that way. (laughs) Well, let's drink to it, gentlemen. At least I may have hit upon an idea of making money. (laughs)
5: My dear Watson, you'll have to work hard at your practice when you get back to England. Your infallible system appears to be extremely fallible.
3: Well, yet the fellow who told me about it said it couldn't miss. It's just a matter of doubling the stakes each time you lose, oh, and then... Oh, my
5: dear fellow. I've been studying your system. But I can tell you a really infallible way of making money at roulette. You can? What is it? Well... Own the gambling house and operate the tables yourself. The odds would be all in your favor.
3: Oh, what a brilliant suggestion. you
5: gambling house not it it. <laughs> Enough gambling for to tonight, Watson?
3: It's nearly 11 o'clock. No, yeah, I think so. Let's take a stroll round the other table, shall we? By the way, old
5: fellow, the young American, Mr. Gilbert, was losing heavily again tonight.
3: He was? I wonder if he'll try that trick that he threatened. The one with the red ink and the shot in the night. Oh, I shouldn't be at all
5: surprised. It's a matter of... Uh, Interest, I saw him leave the tables about half an hour ago. (laughs) Shh,
3: Here comes his wife, on the arm of Monsieur Chevrolet, the director of the casino. Good evening, Mrs. Gilbert. Monsieur?
5: Bonsoir, monsieur.
9: Hello, Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson. Monsieur Chevrolet is giving me a personally conducted tour of the casino. It's quite fascinating.
5: And uh, it is quite fascinating for me to have so beautiful a woman on my arm, (laughs) mademoiselle. (laughs) I know that I am the envy of all the men in the room.
9: Oh, stop flattering me so much. I'm not used to it. Mrs. Gilbert, how is... um, Klaus She seems much better. She wakened an hour ago and insisted on going back to her own room. I wanted her to spend the night with us in our suite, but she wouldn't hear yeah, of it. I her.
3: think I should drop in and see her before I
5: go to bed. Oh, you have finished the gambling for tonight, perhaps, Doctor? Uh,
3: no, perhaps about it, Monsieur Chevry, I've had a bad run at the tables. Oh, I am so sorry.
9: Has anyone seen Roger?
3: He left the tables about half an hour ago, Mrs. Gilbert. After doing as I did and losing quite heavily.
9: Though he lost again, did he? I wonder if he'll try that uh, new system he was <laughs> talking
7: about. We were just discussing
5: that possibility ourselves, Mrs. Gilbert.
7: Mrs. Gilbert! Mrs. Gilbert! Fr. Uh, you shouldn't have left your... It cabinet. is too late to worry for me, Herr Doctor. It is for Mrs. Gilbert now that you should worry. What do you mean, madame? Well, I went back just now to where poor Harriet died. And there, lying in the grass, I saw another body. I was too shocked to go too close. But I am quite sure that I recognize your husband, Mrs. Gilbert. Oh, Dr. Watson, she's ruined Roger's trick.
3: he'll have taken fright and bolted by the time we get there. Watson, well, maybe let's go at once and find out, shall we? He... he hasn't gone. He's... he's still lying there.
9: It's a most convincing spectacle. That red ink really does look like blood.
3: Yes.
5: And blood sometimes looks like red ink... Mr. Gilbert.
9: Roger, get up. The joke's spoiled. Roger. Get up.
5: I'm afraid that's impossible, Mrs. Gilbert. He's dead.
2: Well, Doctor, so the young American's joke turned out to be another tragedy.
3: Yes, Mr. Bartell. The poor fellow was lying there dead with a bullet wound in the heart a great splash of blood staining the whiteness of his shirt front. What happened next? Monsieur Chevre, director of the casino, took the distraught widow away from the scene while Holmes and I examined the body closely. Within a few minutes, we were joined by Inspector uh, Ganivet of the French police. As we stood there in the moonlight, the sounds of music we heard from the casino. It was hard to believe that two men had died in that lovely garden. Since
10: the moon had risen. Monsieur Holmes, you and Dr. Watson have concluded your examination. Yes, Inspector Ganivere. You favor me with your observations. You say that you are certain that this is not another suicide? I'm sure of it, Inspector. Look at the wound. The bullet entered the body at a direct right angle, whereas a self-inflicted shot is always fired obliquely. Yes, that is so. Then uh, you suggest that this man was shot from above as he lay on the ground pretending to be dead.
5: I'm convinced of it. Why, monsieur? Well, for
10: two reasons. It's impossible to be sure without elaborate retest. I'm certain that beneath those bloodstains are stains of red ink. Look yourself, Inspector. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed, it does look like it. What is your other reason for being certain that this man was shot as he lay here pretending there? I show him the banknotes, Watson. Uh, here you
3: are, Inspector. We found them stuffed in his breast pocket. So, banknotes
10: with a bullet hole through the middle of them. Very illuminating. Uh, tell me, gentlemen, how many people knew of this... Uh, This little plot you have told me about, this plan of the dead man's to pretend to be shot. Just three people, Inspector, Dr. Watson, myself, and Mrs. Gilbert. Allure, then the answer is obvious. You and your friend are innocent. It must be the wife who killed him. No one else knew of the plot. I'm
3: not so sure of that. Frau Schneemann, the dead germ's widow, was in the next room when Gilbert told us about his plan. She might have heard, though I could swear that she was asleep. I gave her a very strong sleeping draught.
10: From what you have told me of her husband's suicide, she might easily have had a motive for murdering this man. Oh, come, 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 gentlemen. Surely it's obvious who murdered Mr. Gilbert? Who, Monsieur Holmes?
5: Certainly one of the two widows. Since there seems to be some doubt in your minds, I suggest we return to the casino. I can promise you the answer to your question within a very few minutes. Well, Monsieur Chevrolet, now that we're all assembled in your office, I shall sit down quietly and let Inspector Ganivet conduct his examination.
10: No, 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 Monsieur Holmes. No, you have handled the case so far. Please to cons- continue it at the end. Yes, Monsieur Holmes. I should appreciate it. We have at the casino.
5: Very well, gentlemen. It won't take me long. Professor Neiman.
7: Ja, Herr Holmes.
5: Uh, what time did you leave your hotel tonight?
7: Well, I do not know what time it was.
5: Well, what made you leave it?
7: Uh, I could not sleep. I knew that they had taken poor Heinrich's body away, but I felt that I must walk back there. It was the last place I saw him alive.
5: How close did you come to Mr. Gilbert's body when you saw it lying there?
7: Oh, close enough to see who it was. Then I ran into the casino to tell his wife. I knew what had happened.
5: How did you know? You say you uh, didn't come close to the body.
7: I could tell by every line of the body as it lay there. I could tell because I knew that poor Heinrich's death would not be avenged.
5: Thank you, Froshenyman. That will be all. You may go. Monsieur Holmes, she has no
10: alibi. Surely hey, you Inspector should stop
5: If I'm to conduct this investigation, I must do it my own way. Pardon, Monsieur Holmes. Please continue. Uh, you may go, Froshenyman. Mrs. Gilbert?
9: Yes, Mr. Holmes.
5: Where were you prior to our meeting in the casino tonight, just before we discovered your husband's body?
9: After I left the hotel, I walked over here along the seafront.
5: Can anyone verify that statement?
9: I suppose not. I didn't meet anyone that I knew.
5: And what did you do when you arrived at the casino?
9: I played a little chemin de A few months later, Monsieur Chevre came over to the table and asked if he might escort me over the club. Ten minutes after that, we walked into you and Dr. Watson.
5: That is quite true, Monsieur Holmes. I can swear to it. Thank you, Mrs. Gilbert. I'm sorry to distress you with these questions. You may go.
9: I'll wait outside, Mr. Holmes. I must know what happened.
5: Wait for me there, Madame. I shall join you in a few minutes and escort you home.
9: Ah,
10: well, another suspect for the poor alibi, alibi, eh, Gullivet? I must say, Monsieur Holmes, your methods puzzle me. It seems to me that both those women should be watched.
3: Yes, I agree with the Inspector Holmes.
5: Please don't worry, Inspector. I've asked two of your plain clothes men to keep an eye on the ladies. And now, Monsieur Chaffray, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Ask me any questions you wish, Monsieur Holmes. Thank you. You will agree that it is the custom of the casino to put money on the bodies of suicides after their death. To get the impression that gambling gambling losses were not responsible for the tragedy.
10: Well, I, I do not think... Oh, come now, Chevrolet. I know that is a fact as well as you do. Exactly. Now, on those rather gruesome occasions, whose
5: responsibility is it to secrete the money? Yours? Or do you entrust the matter to an underling? I do it myself. I see. Did you place the money on Herr Schneemann tonight? Yes, monsieur, I did. And did you also perform the same service on the body of Mr. Gilbert? No.
10: I knew nothing of that death until a German lady false running into the casino. Excuse me, interrupting, monsieur. Uh, of course, Inspector. What is it? I think that you are wasting time. It is obvious that Madame Gilbert committed the crime. She knew of her husband's plot. She had no alibi and she had the motive. For is not uh, <laughs> marriage itself the greatest of all motives for murder? Oh, my dear Inspector.
5: How very cynical.
10: Madame Gilbert did not kill her husband.
3: I know it. And what is your opinion, Watson? Uh, it's a German woman. She had no alibi either. And remember, she was half mad with grief. Monsieur Chevrolet, you say that you know Mrs. Gilbert is not
5: guilty. How do you know? I was with her myself at the time the murder was committed. Oh, indeed. How very interesting. And what time was the murder committed? Well, it, it was... It, it was... Our investigations have never established
10: what time the murder was committed, Monsieur Chevrolet. I'm afraid you've walked into my trap. You've given yourself away, Scott Chevre, it, it was you. Chevray, I've known you a good many years, and this is going to be a hard thing to do. I am going to arrest you. Oh, no, you are not, Genevieve. Put down that revolver, sir. Do not be frightened, Doctor. I am not going to shoot you. Chevre. why did
5: you murder Roger Gilbert tonight? Surely you know that too, Monsieur Holmes. Because I am in love with She She's young, beautiful, and rich. It did not occur to me... Until I saw the young fool lying there tonight pretending to be dead. In my profession, it is natural that I should carry a revolver. What was simpler? Mr. Herbert gave me the perfect opportunity. I, I could not resist it. Put down that revolver, Chevrolet. Why are you all so frightened? Surely you know how I am going to use it this time. I think so, monsieur. But it's a coward's way out. What an unpreceptive remark for such a perceptive man. No. No, all my life, I have been a gambler. I gambled tonight. For the highest stakes of all, and... I lost. No. No, I am not afraid to pay for my losses. Au revoir, monsieur. An extraordinary
3: case, Holmes.
5: huh? I never suspected Chevrolet. And I, old chap, suspected him from the beginning.
3: Well, I wasn't the only one who was stupid, anyway. Inspector Ganivari thought it was the wife. True. Very puzzling conclusion
5: for a detective inspector to arrive at. Oh,
3: it seemed logical enough to me at
5: the no, time. No, 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 my dear Watson. Cold logic should have told you otherwise. Roger Gilbert had been losing heavily and had planned the hoax. He obviously had no money on him. Therefore, the money was planted in his pocket by Chevrolet. After he shot him? No, my dear fellow. Before. Before? Before? The bullet hole through the banknotes provided that. Now, uh, had the money been put there innocently, Gilbert would have, um, well, you know, come back to life as soon as the person placing it there had left. He would not have remained lying on the ground for a murderer to find him.
3: And Chevery must have bent over him as he lay there, placed the money in his breast pocket, and then fired. Not precisely, Watson. Well, um, I must say you solved it very neatly. You've told Inspector any way that you wanted no credit in the case. Naturally,
5: uh, publicity would be unfavorable. If you remember, no one is supposed to know that we're in the South of I'm
3: certain that the inspector learned a few tips about detection tonight. Possibly, old oh uh, And I uh, hope
5: that uh, you have learned a few things about gambling. How do you mean, Holmes? Well, you're backing the wrong color. Hmm? A gambler is usually superstitious, and superstition, well, I should have told you what
3: color to follow tonight. I still don't understand you, Holmes. I was playing number 10. Exactly. Number 10 is black.
5: You should have followed a red color tonight, old fellow. The color of red ink. Red ink. And blood.
2: Say, Doctor, that was a swell story. I didn't know you liked to play roulette. You know, I figured out a system for roulette. It's like yours. Um, every time you lose, you double your money and keep doubling until you win. Oh, it's a
3: great system, Mr. Bartle. There's only one thing wrong with it. What's that? You lose, you go broke, before you win. <laughs> take, take my advice. Don't gamble. You can't beat the laws of chance. Uh, but suppose I bet on a sure
2: thing. What, for instance? Oh, like the fact that Petri wine is always good wine. It is, you know, because the Petri family has been making wine for generations. They've been handing down from father to son, from father to son, the art of turning luscious, sun-ripened grapes into delicious, fragrant wine. Ever since the Petri family started their business way back in the 1800s, they've been perfecting the art of winemaking. That's why Petri wine is always good wine. The Petri family took time to bring you good wine. So no matter what type wine you prefer, why not take a few seconds of your time... To look for the letters P-E-T-R-I. They spell delicious wine, Petri wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what new Sherlock Holmes story are you going to tell us next week?
3: Next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you of a strange adventure that Sherlock Holmes and I had when we were in Stratford-on-Avon many years ago. It concerns an actor, a mysterious boating accident... And several dead butterflies. Sounds good, Doctor. I'll see you then. Oh, fine. But now, now, don't forget, next week we're going to broadcast our program from the Paramount 30 in Hollywood for the Victory Loan Drive. So if any of our friends are going to be in Hollywood, we'd love to see them there. Just buy a Victory Bond at any store or bank on Hollywood Boulevard, and in return, you will be given your ticket of admission. Better hurry up, though, before all the seats are gone. Let's really buy lots of those Victory Bonds. Let's finish the job.
2: Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, A Study in Scarlet. Music is by Dean Foster. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. This is Harry Bartell saying night for the Petri family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studio. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.
1: Stay tuned for Duffy's Tavern next on Theatre of the Mind. Time now for Duffy's Tavern on Theatre of the Mind.
4: It's Duffy's Tavern, brought to you transcribed by the National Broadcasting Company, with Charlie Catteras Finnegan, Hazel Sherman as Miss Duffy. Let's be shown at the piano and starring
11: Archie himself, Ed Gardner. When Irish eyes are smiling...
8: Sure it's light from morning spring,
11: In the light the Irish you can hear the angels sing. Quiet, everybody. Hello, Duffy tavern. where do you leave me seat? Archie DeMange is speaking. Duffy ain't here. Oh, hello, Duffy. I guess you heard the good news about Rhinelander McGirt, huh? Yep, yeah, born a poor boy in humble surroundings. Came up the hard way. Nobody to give him a helping hand, and yet he winds up being electrocuted in one of the top prisons of the country. (laughs) It just shows that we're living in a true democracy, Duffy. Was his family proud? Well, uh, strangely enough, uh, some of them was uh, rather shocked. Yeah. Three of them were sitting right alongside of (laughs) him. It was the first time in history instead of using an electric chair, the prison had to use a sofa. <laughs>
8: huh?
11: Well, I'm busy cleaning up the joint, you know. It was quite a mess after the going-away party that we had for McGurk. Well, no, uh, McGurk himself wasn't here. Uh, we just drank him, you know, absent you. Yeah. Yeah, we just kept drinking toasts until the lights dimmed twice. Oh, and... <laughs> Then everybody cheered and went home. <coughs> well, look, I got to hang up now, Duffy. As I say, I'm working hard getting the place cleaned up. Oh, yes, I'm working very hard. Okay, Fats, you shuffle and I'll deal. <laughs>
8: Excuse
11: me. What? What, Duffy? What do you mean I never do no work around here? I love your audacity. Who cleans out the joint? Who cooks the food? Who waits on a customer's? Who does all the dirty work? I know, but who tells Fats to do it? <laughs> huh? Ah, go soak your head. Ah, that's Duffy. I worked me fingers to the grindstone. What do I get? Nothing but retribution. I'm sick of it. Work, 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 work. Okay, Fats, I got two pairs. <laughs> Three of a kind. You win. Work, work, work.
8: <laughs>
11: Why do I work so hard? Look at me. I'm down to a skeleton. Look at how my chest has shrank. It ain't shrank. It's just going to pop.
8: <laughs>
11: look, it just happens that I'm
12: wearing a fat apron. Miss, Mr. Archie, if people lost weight Yeah? You'd look like Man Mountain Dean.
8: <laughs>
11: just a minute. Are you inferring that I ain't laborious?
12: I'm on to say you spend so much time watching the clock that when we went off daylight savings, you had to set your eyes back one hour. Oh,
8: yeah?
11: Well, I'll prove to you that I lost weight on this job. Here, I'll show you on the weighing machine. Hey, wait a minute, Fats. Look on the back of this card. It's got me fortune. It says today will be your lucky day. Mr. Archie, you ain't gonna believe that little card. Oh, no? See, me luck has started already. Look, I got me penny back. What's so lucky about that? I put in a slug. (laughs) Yes, sir, Fats. There's a a time in the affairs of the tide of men when the flood of the gate leads on to fortune. And Oh, excuse me. probably the Irish week, steak growing. <clears throat> Just hope I don't get nervous in the newsreels. <laughs> oh. Hello, Fathom Begara. Huh? Who's this? Oh. Who is it? Chin Lee. <laughs> you know, from the laundry. Uh, <clears throat> tell me, uh, what can I do for you, C.L.?
8: Right? <laughs> what?
11: Well, that's swell. Okay, uh, well, I'll I'll be seeing you, Lathan Bleglala.
12: More good luck?
11: Yep, it's uncanny, Fats. The laundry lost me shirt. <laughs> that is good luck. Yeah, yeah, so instead of a shirt, Chin Lee's gonna give me 25 cents in cash.
8: <laughs>
11: 25 cents for a shirt? I told him I bought it new. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, sir, that fortune-telling card was right. Ain't it a funny thing the way some days is lucky and other days is jinxes? Like the time that Tim Hannigan walked under that ladder. Bad luck? Bad. That's the day that Tim Hannigan walked under that ladder. He was young, healthy, strong, full of life. And then? Three days later, they found him married. (laughs) And... Look at Rhineland and McGurk.
12: <clears throat> you mean the guy that was electrocuted?
11: Yeah, even he had a touch of bad luck. Uh, oh, I. Uh. Oh, hello, Fine. How are you?
13: Oh, I'm busy working, though.
11: Busy working? Oh, yeah. Uh, no. Yeah.
13: I got a job for the holidays running the elevator at Macy's.
11: Well, you're running the elevator, and how come
13: you're here? I've been grounded. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron,
8: yeah. Yeah.
13: Too bad. What
11: happened? Uh, Your you brain leak at
13: high altitudes? And... Oh no, dear. it's all because of a slight misunderstanding. Misunderstanding? Yeah, hmm? uh, you see, dear, I thought Macy's had two basements.
8: <laughs>
11: but they haven't. They have now. <laughs>
13: You mean... I drove that elevator 20 feet below the (laughs) ground. Well,
11: after you did that, then what did you do?
13: Oh, don't worry. I I kept me with you, Bobby. You did, huh? Oh, yeah. I nonchalantly opened the door, turned to the passengers, and I said, Step up, please.
8: (laughs) Real quick thinking, Finnegan.
13: Tell me, how did you get this job with me? How did I get it? I had experience. You remember Chicago at the stockyards? I used to run that outdoor elevator. Oh, and the
11: experience helped Jet Macy's?
13: Huh? No, in fact, it hurt me. It got me into trouble. How? Well, in the stockyards, I got in the habit of slapping them in the rear to make them get out there. <laughs>
11: And you did the same thing at Macy's? Yeah, yeah. except that I was politer.
13: You was politer, huh? Yeah. At Macy's, you wear gloves.
8: <laughs>
11: how diplomatic.
13: Well, how do you... Do you like the job all right? Oh, it's all right. Except that some people are so impossible. They're, they're always complaining. Like yesterday. The same started complaining that she couldn't breathe in the elevator. Why couldn't she breathe? I had a nose caught in the door. <laughs>
8: Didn't
11: she tell you that her nose
13: was caught in the door? Yeah, but I thought she always talked that way. <laughs> I thought it might be Rudy Valley's mother.
8: <laughs> oh, what
13: uh, People you have to put up with. <laughs> oh, it's all. Today another dame comes in and she says, operator, I'd like to change this Skype. So I says, not in my elevator, you do Well, anyway,
11: I'm glad you got a job, and again, and by the way, today is my lucky day too, you know.
13: Your lucky day? How do you know?
11: Well, I this little card from the weighing machine, it's a lucky omen.
13: Oh, you believe in them lucky omens? Well, certainly, don't you? No, uh, I don't. Be. Take my uncle, for instance. He's got two rabbit's feet, and they brought him nothing but trouble. Two rabbit's feet, and they brought him trouble? Why? Well, he can't find a pair of shoes that'll fit him.
8: <laughs> Finnegan,
11: tell me, why don't you go and find a mind reader and
13: bet him that he can't?
8: <laughs> oh, that's a good
13: suggestion, Arch. It appeals to my sporting blood. Good. Well, I'll be
11: seeing you. Hey,
13: hey, McCuffey, what's the matter with you? What, are you? what are you looking so excited
11: about?
14: Oh, didn't you hear what just happened in our house? What? Papa was shaving and the razor slipped.
11: This is me lucky day.
14: <laughs>
11: he was shaving, huh? Tell me, how's he getting along?
14: Oh, fine, but Mama's feeling awful weak.
11: How come your mother's feeling weak?
14: Well, who do you think he was shaving?
11: (laughs) Well, maybe I ain't so lucky after all. What do you mean? Well, one of them weighing machine cards, you know, says that today is going to be my lucky day.
14: Oh, those weighing machine cards. I got on a scale the other day, and you know what the card said?
11: In your case, it probably says, Deposit another penny, please. Your 200 pounds is up.
14: (laughs) Archie, I don't weigh two hundred pounds, and for your information, I have weighed as little as a hundred and ten.
11: But you was four years old at the
14: time. <laughs>
11: and what else did the card say? Uh, any predictions?
14: Yeah, it said, "Prepare for romance. ere the night is over, your lips will be burning."
11: What happened? Somebody set fire to your mustache. <laughs>
8: <laughs>
14: Not. That's why I don't believe in those cards. Before the night was over, Rodney Haybinder had proposed. Well? To the girl next door.
11: Well, at least you was close.
14: I should have suspected it those nights when the three of us were sitting in the hammock. Why? His feet were always in my lap. (laughs) I thought, you know, I I thought I should take what I could get.
11: Yeah, I see. Uh, Well, Mr. Archie. Yeah, Fats. Special delivery letter for you. Let me have it. Hey, it's from Sing Sing. It's from Lionelander McCoy. How
14: do you
11: know? Part of the envelope is singed.
14: No. <laughs>
11: Probably wrote it on his death seat. We must take a look at it. Hey, hey, Pats, it's his will. It says, To whom it may concern, crime don't pay. I hereby leave six million dollars to me old buddies in the New York Police Department.
8: <laughs> and
11: to me old pal Archie, I bequeath one half interest in me racehorse, Stumblebump. Did you hear that, Miss Duffy? I inherited a half a racehorse. I told you this was me lucky day. Oh, wh- what else does the, the letter say? Well, let me see. P.S. In case I break out of this place, you'll be seeing me in person. Signed, Ryan Lanham McGirt. D.P.S. He didn't.
8: <laughs>
11: you won't. Signed, the warden.
8: <laughs>
11: what a weighing machine was right. Look at me, the, the bona fide owner of a half of a racehorse. Hey, Fats, quick. Uh, get me some sugar cubes and a bale of hay. Why? What do you mean, why?
14: Maybe you haven't got the half to eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you...
11: Oh, no, Rylander wouldn't do that to me, his old pal He, he knows how I always like to look a gift horse in the mouth
8: <laughs>
11: Well, gang, this calls for a real celebration It's me lucky day, my stuff get out the champagne Facts some music, please While everybody drinks a toast to Archie The half-horse racetrack tycoon Laughter
12: I'm afraid to love you praying I might like it I'm afraid to hold you praying I might like it when your lips invite me to steal a kiss or two I'm tempted but I never follow I'm afraid you'll thrill me thrill me that you What's another heart of two you? I just like a stranger is because I sense the danger. I'm afraid to love you. I'm afraid I do.
11: of that horse? The other half. Yeah, that's right. I never thought of that. wonder who does own the other half. Well, whoever he is, I just hope he keeps up his end. <laughs> no, it costs a lot of money to keep up a horse. I wonder
14: how it
11: could be. Well, I don't know who the guy is, but when we put the horse on a big race, I hope that his half won't be dragging. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Archie?
8: Hmm?
11: Do you know anything about horse racing? Are you kidding? That's, I was born with the smell of a saddle.
8: <laughs> and
11: horse flesh in my veins. I, you know, I learned to ride when I was a kid only five years old. In fact, the rest of the kids in the neighborhood used to call me Archie the Jock.
14: How do you spell that? <laughs>
11: You mean how do you spell it? They spelled it J-O-K-E-Y, Jockey. (laughs) Yes, sir. Day after day I used to race my own little pony. Hour after hour, I'd sit in a saddle till my little pants was worn thin. (laughs) Did you ever win? Well, not every time, but I always managed to show. But what am I doing wasting me words here? I better get me stable organized. Uh, Finnegan. Yeah, uh, uh, Are you a lover of horse flesh? Well, frankly, Arch, I prefer salami.
8: <laughs>
13: <laughs> Finnegan,
11: I'm talking about racehorses. Oh,
13: oh, race horses. Yeah? You know, Arch, I own one once.
11: How'd you ever own a racehorse?
13: Well, it was a funny thing. I was out at the racetrack one day. Uh, so this horse leans over the fence, and he says, Hey, uh, Finnegan, how'd you like to buy a good horse, Chief?
11: Just a minute. You mean a horse leaned over
13: the fence and talked to you? What's so strange about that? It was a very low fence. Why? <laughs> oh, but, you know, he, he sure was a fast horse. Fast horse, eh? Huh? <clears throat> was you the jockey? No, the jockey was my sister.
11: <laughs> Where did your sister ever learn to ride a horse?
13: Oh, see, you know, that, uh, that race track down in Florida. The race? In
11: Florida,
13: uh, uh, Widener Handicap? Archie oh, had widened her all over.
1: <laughs>
11: now, stop bothering with these nonsensicals. And again, I'm trying to get this stable of mine organized. Now, uh, let me... Where can I find a groom?
14: Believe me, it ain't easy
11: (laughs) I believe you But I happen to be talking about a groom for me racehorse
14: Oh Uh, by the way, Archie You know, after the race, they always have a pretty girl standing in the winner's circle Mm Mm-hmm so? Well, uh, maybe if your horse wins, I could stand next to him.
11: Yeah, but how would the judges know which next to hang the race on?
14: <laughs> uh, Finningham, where's Archie?
13: He's in the back room looking at the racing
9: form.
14: Oh. Say, is it true that Arch owns one half of his horse? Yeah.
13: And some other guy owns the other half?
14: Well, that's right.
13: Well, what part does the horse own?
14: I guess no part.
13: This sort of thing couldn't happen if Abraham Lincoln was alive.
14: (laughs) Hello, Duffy Tavern. Oh, it's you, Papa. Where's Lame Brain? He's in the back room looking at the racing form. What, Papa? Oh, well, that's nice. You're sending over 300 pounds of beef? All right. We'll put it in the icebox. <coughs> Sinningen, Pat. There yeah, are, uh, Duff. Pop is sending over 300 pounds of beef for a party in the memory of his dear friend, Rhinelander McGurk. Uh, when it gets here, put it right in the icebox, will you?
12: Gee, that's nice of Mr. Duffy. 300 pounds of beef. By the way. What? You sure he ain't sending over your mother? <gasps>
14: <laughs> that's for your information, Mama only weighs 298. She lost 15 pounds last summer up in Saratoga. <laughs> uh,
13: okay, Miss Duffy, we'll put the cider of beef in the icebox. Eh? Now, let me look at this racing.
11: <laughs> when
14: lucky finds out about this? Uh,
11: shall we bring it through the back door or the front door? Huh? Well, you know, they're surprising me. They're bringing me little horse to the tavern.
13: <laughs> but suppose it's too big to get through the door. Well, there's only one thing to do. What? We can slice one piece off of one side. These butchers. Slicing a piece off my poor little horse.
14: I I got a better idea. What's that? Why don't we saw it right down the middle?
13: (laughs) The fiend. No, no. I think we should leave it in one piece. At least Finnegan
14: loves horses.
13: And then barbecue it. Lousy
12: cannibal. I just hope it won't be too tough.
11: Why are they talking tough? He's a
12: sweet little animal. I know it.
14: Well, if it's too tough, I suppose we can club it for a few hours.
13: I'll report this to the (laughs) St. (laughs) PA. Ladies and gentlemen, I disagree with the whole procedure. I don't think it should be clubbed at all. Nice going, Finnegan. I think we should cut it up into little pieces and make hamburgers. Now, wait a minute, Finnegan. I've
11: been listening to this conversation. It's gone far enough. What a lousy way to treat a poor little
0: horse.
14: A horse? Yeah. We were talking about a side of beef. Oh. Papa's sending it down here because he's given a party in memorial of Rhineland and McGurk.
0: Oh,
11: oh, that's different. And I'm sure McGurk will appreciate it, you know. He's a great lover of roast beef. Now, uh, <clears throat> let me finish reading this racing form. Hey, wait a minute. Holy cat! this is me lucky day.
14: What do you mean? Me
11: horse, Dumblebum. He's running today. <laughs> where, where? Down south. You know, the wealthier
13: horses always go south for the winter.
8: <clears throat>
11: oh, yeah?
13: Say, say, look, Arch. He must be a great horse. Why? The odds are a hundred to one.
8: <laughs>
11: now that... That's an old trick, you know. They jack up the price to make the other horses overconfident.
13: (laughs) Oh, I see. Hey, who's
11: he running against, George? Let's see here. Third race, Harry Boy. Slow starter, but can win. Susie Q, startled the clock as a Pimlico. Great in the stretch. Whirlwind, never looked in better shape. One last six starts. Knockout drop. Cinched to win on dry track. And bum What's it say about him? Good to his mother. <laughs> I
14: thought this was your lucky day.
11: It still is. Finnegan, here's two bucks. I want you to go down to Lefty's pool room and put it on me horse.
13: Ah, uh, what would a horse be doing in a pool room. <laughs>
8: the
11: horse ain't in a pool room. The bookie's in the pool room.
13: Now get going. But I... Come on. Get in your stirrup. I, I just want to see if I got it straight. Okay. So I go down to the lefties and shoot a game of pool with a horse named Get in Your Stirrup. <laughs> no, no.
11: Finnegan. Bet two bucks on a horse called Stumblebum.
13: Who? That horse that you own half
11: of? Yeah. Put two bucks on his nose. Suppose you own the other half. <laughs> okay. Put two bucks on that, too. <clears throat> Maybe he'll back in. <laughs> this is my lucky. Hi, yeah,
13: are you back, Finnegan? Yeah, say, I... Are you sure you got a horse? Of course. Why? The guys down the Booker joint say you got a dog. <laughs>
11: Well, maybe it's on account of he's been scratched so often they think he's got fleas. <laughs> uh, did you put down the bet?
13: Just like you told me. Is he still 100 to 1? Oh, no, better than
11: that, Arch. Uh, better than that? Yeah, he's 200 to 1. <laughs> oh, Buck's said 200 to 1. That's almost $298. <laughs> hey, this is me, Lucky Day. Fats, turn on the radio quick. I want to hear the results. Okay, Lucky.
4: And here are the horses coming out of the paddock for the third race. Whirlwind is leading the field with Stumblebum second. Attaboy,
11: boy, Stumblebum, stay in there.
14: Archie. Come on.
11: Pass that whirlwind.
14: Archie. Come on,
11: Stumblebum.
14: Archie. What? The race hasn't started yet.
11: Oh. <laughs> just,
4: just a minute, folks. There seems to be some delay. Two officials are coming out on the track with a large bale of hay with 25 candles on it. They're taking it over to Stumblebum. <laughs> yes, boss, it's Stumblebum's twenty-fifth birthday.
11: <laughs> well, you know, it's my horse's birthday, Mazotol. <laughs> Thank you. To
8: say the least, folks, this Stumblebum
4: is no man of
11: war. Ain't that wonderful? He's comparing him to the greatest
1: horse that ever lived.
4: And now the horses are lined up at the starting gate. And just a minute. Stumble Bum seems to be down on one
1: knee.
11: Probably gonna start from a crouching position. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, folks, he's up
4: now, and there they go. Out in front of Spiral Win by two ranks, Susie Q is second by a length and a half, followed by Harry Boy, Reese quick and speed king. Where's Stumble Bum? Stumblebum is now leading the post. What? Well, what do you know? Stumblebum is now running away from the field. voice, Stumblebum. Only he's running in the
8: wrong direction. <laughs>
12: Maybe Stumblebum is a murder. Does he have to pick a time like this? <laughs> Coming out
8: of the corner of to swim in
4: by left. Breeze, quick, and Speed King. Whirlwind, stumblebum, stumblebum is on the rail. On the rail, get back on the track. <laughs> and here they are coming down the stretch. It's whirlwind by land length.
11: Harry Boy, breeze quick, and here
4: comes
13: Stumblebun. Come on, stumblebum. Come on, stumblebum. Come on, stumblebum. Come, Come on, whirlwind. <laughs> again what's the idea? I just wanted to break the monotony. Up. <laughs>
4: It's stumblebum out in front, folks. Come on, stumblebum,
11: make it a real lucky day for me.
4: This stumblebum is sensational. The way he's running, you think he was a horse.
11: <laughs> <laughs> His two
4: orders must be mighty proud of him today. And now, if they near the finish line, it's stumblebum by one length. Stumblebum by two lengths, three lengths, and now, first, Stumblebum will hit the headlines in every paper in the country.
11: What happened?
4: He just dropped dead. <laughs> What? The winner is Will win.
11: Holy cow! I lost the race. I lost my horse. I guess this just takes me lucky, hey. eh? Yes,
4: folks. This is a tough break for Archie. One of the two owners of Stumblebum.
11: You're telling me.
4: But nothing compared to the misfortunes of the other owner of Stumblebum, who bet five hundred dollars on him. That gallant sportsman and tavern owner. Who? Patrick J. Duffy. <laughs> how do you like that stuff he lost 500 bucks it is me lucky day after all
1: thank you for listening tomorrow night it's Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy followed by Father Knows Best thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support